Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me all right? Sorry, my nose just shut off. So, I know we just prayed, but can I pray for us one more time? Never have too much prayer. Okay. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for this morning, for the time of worship that we just had. For your word and for what you have for us today, I pray that you'd speak through me now, and uh, yeah, just convict us, encourage us, and glorify yourself uh, through what you have for us today. And we ask, Amen. So, um, many of you know, I recently started a new job. It's been about four months now, and things have been going very well. Um, I usually try to drive to work. My office is about 25 minutes west of our house, and um, that's nothing compared to my last commute. But occasionally, I'll be required to work downtown in our headquarters, and it's, it's not a bad thing. I enjoy it. Um, it just takes a little bit more transportation-wise to get there. So my route is usually I'll, I'll walk outside my house across the street, take a bus, transfer to the red line, walk a few minutes, and I'm at the office. But to be perfectly vulnerable with you guys, even though I grew up in Chicago and I went to college downtown, I've only taken the CTA, specifically the bus, a handful of times. So this past Tuesday was my third time taking the CTA down to my new office. And um, the, the first two times went fairly smoothly. Um, I have a system now. Morning of, I'll pull up the directions on Google Maps, and depending on the time that I want to get there, uh, Google Maps will tell me exactly which bus I need to take. So, this past Tuesday, I thought I had the perfect route planned out. I'd take the 640 bus, get downtown by 745, be in the office well before 8. But as soon as I stopped at that I stepped onto the bus stop, 6.35. I, I knew that things wouldn't go quite as planned. 6.40 came, and there was no bus in sight. So I pulled up Google Maps again. This time, Google Maps said the bus is going to be delayed by two minutes. But two minutes isn't so bad, seeing that the next bus wasn't for another 25 minutes. So as you can guess, two minutes came, and there was still no bus. I checked Google Maps again. This time it said five minutes. It was delayed by five minutes. Soon it was 10 minutes, then 15 minutes. So I'm standing there at this bus stop, and I'm half asleep, of course, and I'm starting to panic inside. Here, Google Maps had promised me that there was a bus that was going to help me get downtown. But right now, I was doubting whether or not this bus even existed, right? So as I'm standing there, I'm conflicted. I'm going through options in my mind. Do I keep standing here, waiting for this bus that I don't know exists? Do I take an Uber to the train? That would kind of defeat the purpose of taking the train in the first place, right? Maybe I should just hop in my car and drive downtown. Some of you right now are probably thinking, did I really come to church today to hear about Mike's inability to take the CTA? 
you leave now, that's partially true. Well, we'll, re- we'll revisit this story later. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the reason I told it is because I believe my mindset that morning was similar to that of the Galatians as described in the passage that we're looking at today. As I stood at the bus stop this past Tuesday, a desire to take control of my situation in times of doubt grew within me. And I think today we'll see how the Galatians had a similar mentality uh, through an illustration laid out by Paul. So today I'll be covering the last section of chapter 4 in Galatians, verses 21 through 31. Uh, Before we go there, though, I want to look at a story in the Old Testament. And um, this is a story that we should all be familiar with, especially with our recent Abraham series that we had. It takes place between Genesis 12 and 21. And we'll just briefly review this story. So to uh, give us a refresher, within Genesis 12, Abraham, known as Abram at the time, is called by God to leave his country, his family, and to follow God into an unknown land. He's promised by God that he will be made into a great nation, meaning he will have many descendants, and uh, he would also be blessed, and others would be blessed through him. So uh, within chapter 15, the details of this promise are revealed to us a little bit more, revealed to Abraham a little bit more. Abraham is caught in a vision where God's speaking to him. And I should have the verses on the screen there. Yeah. So it starts Genesis 15.1, where God is speaking words of blessing and promise to Abraham. It says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. Abraham didn't find these words all that comforting. We're reminded that despite Abraham's incredible faith to leave his country and his family to follow the Lord wherever he led, Abraham was still human, just like us. He had doubts. Uh, He looks at his current situation, his current circumstances, and in verse 2 he says, O sovereign Lord, what good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children... Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. So it's here that we find out what's troubling Abraham exactly. When Abraham was called by God, he was already 75 years old. And granted, people lived a lot longer back then. But at this point, it's been a few years since the Lord first called him. And gave him his promises. And Abraham looks at his current situation, what he has, or better yet, what he doesn't have. And he doesn't have a son. He doesn't have a descendant yet. And his wife, Sarah, is unable to have children. So at this point, he begins to question if God really meant what he said in his promises. In his plea, Abraham is asking, what good is this reward and blessing if I don't even have a son to inherit this blessing after I'm gone? And uh, during this time, it was common for a man to choose a servant to become his heir if he had no son born to him. So even though God could have 
continued his promises through this servant heir that he had. Abraham both wanted a son and believed that God would be providing, uh, providing a son for him to be his heir. So let's continue on to verse 4. God answers Abraham. He says, No, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So here we see God mercifully confirms his promises for Abraham and explicitly states that he will indeed provide Abraham with a son of his own. But we'll skip ahead in the story, and I should have a timeline in the next slide. We see that it's a full 25 years between the time that God first called Abraham and the time that Isaac, his promised son, was actually born. During those 25 years, Abraham doubted the Lord's promises for an heir, as we already saw. Later on, partly following the suggestion of his wife and also wanting to assure for himself that he would have an heir, Abraham ends up having a child with his servant Hagar named Ishmael. And this was even after the vision where the Lord had promised him that he would provide a son for him. So it's, it's this specific human effort to complete God's promises, which Paul refers to in the last part of Galatians 4 that we're looking at today. So finally, to jump into today's passage, we're looking at Galatians 4, uh, 21 through 31. Paul uses the story of Sarah and Hagar, Ishmael and Isaac, to further illustrate to the Galatians how they're being deceived. As we've already heard, with, heard within the series, the Galatians are struggling with one main issue. When they first heard the gospel from Paul, they learned that salvation was by grace alone, not by works. Yet now there were new teachers telling them that, that faith alone was not enough to get them saved. They also needed to follow the Mosaic law in order to be saved. And the Galatians believed this new teaching. As we saw in Galatians 1, we saw that they quickly abandoned the truth for a distorted version of the gospel. So why did the Galatians choose to listen to this false teaching? Doesn't the first message sound so much better and more freeing? Well, Paul being a former follower of the Mosaic Law himself, intentionally used the story of Sarah and Hagar as an illustration to bring to light why the Galatians were choosing this false teaching. And because the Mosaic Law actually consisted of the first five books of our Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, this story is straight from the Mosaic Law that they were trying to live by. So he says this exactly in verse 21. He says, Paul says, Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? Verse 22. The scripture says that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the servant was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of this promise, of his promise. So this last verse, verse 23, is key to Paul's illustration. 
says, Ishmael, the son born from his servant, was born out of a human attempt to bring about God's promise. Whereas Isaac, born of his wife Sarah, was born out of a fulfillment of God's promises. So to put it plainly for us, Abraham knew God's promises, yet because of his doubts, he acted in his own human efforts to ensure that he would have a son. And in the same way, the Galatians had heard the gospel from Paul, that salvation is not by works, but through faith in Christ, but they still chose the distorted gospel that required their works. And why did they do this? Just like Abraham, they had doubts of God's promises and began to believe that their own human efforts could earn salvation. So how many of you consider yourselves to be very patient people? Oh, wow, no hands. Well, I didn't think I was very patient either. Then I had kids. And as you parents know, if your child wants something, they're going to ask for it until they get it, especially if it's food-related. So Isla's gotten a lot better at this now, but there was a time when even if we were preparing her food, and she was watching us prepare her food, even if we had her food across from her on the table, even if we had the bowl in our hand with the spoon headed towards her mouth, it's as if she didn't believe that we'd actually give it to her, right? So she was whining, flaring, you know, the whole act. If she wasn't strapped down to her high chair, I'm sure she would have gotten down, walked over to me, taken the food, and fed herself. Man, there's, there's been times where I've heard her desperate pleas for food, and I've thought to myself, is this what I look like to God? There's definitely been moments in my life where I've thought, just like the Galatians, I know I'm saved, but just to be sure, I'll go to church this Sunday. I know I'm saved, but I'll sin a little bit less today, just to be sure. I know I'm saved, but just to be sure, I'll love those around me today. But no, the reality is this. If we really believe that we are saved by grace alone, there's no room for just to be sure. To accept God's free gift of salvation is to surrender. It's to believe that there's nothing we can do in our own, own human efforts to earn salvation. And to believe that if we have accepted this free gift, then we truly have been set free. Just like we sang about today in the worship. This means that even if we spend every free moment of our lives loving those around us, even if we spend endless weekends and vacations volunteering for charity or go to church every Sunday, or back to the Galatians mindset, even if we follow the Mosaic law to a T, even if we do all these things, as good as they are, none of them will save us. Yeah, maybe this is your first time hearing this in our society where everything is earned and nothing is free, the idea of free salvation is a foreign concept. I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. So my understanding of the teaching was always salvation is a gift, but we also need to do good things in order to hold on to this gift. 
So at the end of the day, if we have this mindset, was it really a gift or do we just buy salvation on credit? But the reality we see in Scripture over and over again is salvation is a free gift given by God out of his grace and perfect love for his glory. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2.8-9 For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the free gift, not by works, so that no one can boast. Not only is it free, but the free gift of salvation is also sufficient for our entire lives. When Christ died for our sins, his sacrifice was sufficient to cover our past, our present, and our future. So when we accept the free gift of salvation, we are set free forever. Meaning that even if we mess up or we make a mistake along the way, we are still set free. We don't need to make it up to God. We're free forever. So back to our passage in Galatians for today, uh, Paul highlights our freedom as he continues his illustration in verse 24. It says, These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people receive the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like the Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. So here Paul draws a fine line between the two mindsets. After Christ's death and resurrection, there were now two covenants, right? The first covenant, represented by Hagar, the servant, was the old covenant which, pers- which uh, required a person to live by the Mosaic law. And the second covenant, represented by Sarah, is the new covenant, which requires faith alone to receive salvation. He brings a clear contrast between the two. If you live under the Mosaic law, you are a slave to the law. But if, you, if you are under the new covenant, salvation by grace, you are a free citizen within the kingdom of God. The new covenant is the same one prophesied by Jeremiah in the Old Testament and quoted within the book of Hebrews. Find this in Hebrews 8.10. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So continuing on to verse 27 of Galatians 4, Paul reminds the Galatians of how Isaiah further prophesied about God's people. He says, uh, as Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. So this passage is taken straight from Isaiah 54. Uh, No need to turn there right now, but Isaiah 54 is a prophecy that speaks about uh, the new Jerusalem or the place where all of God's people one day live. 
And to continue on to verse 2 in Isaiah 54, uh, he says, Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, and spare no expense, for you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. So in this passage, Isaiah is rejoicing about God's kingdom. The idea of enlarging a home is a picture of the great multitude of people who would live in the New Jerusalem. And the picture of the desolate woman who suddenly had more children is a picture of what type of people would be living in this home. And what type of people would they be? They wouldn't be servants. Instead, they would be direct descendants or sons and daughters from all nations. And just as a reminder, this is us. We who have accepted this free gift of salvation are the ones this prophecy speaks of. Through Christ, we have become direct descendants and sons and daughters of God. So to bring it back to the problem the Galatians are facing, Paul continues in verse 28. says, And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the son born, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. And we see within this illustration sort of an internal struggle within the family of Abraham between Ishmael and Isaac. And in the same way, within the Galatian church, there's an internal struggle between those who want to live by the Old Covenant and the truth of the New Covenant. So those last verses in, in Galatians 4, verses 28 to 31, says, But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Paul says there's only one option. Get rid of this false teaching that Christ's death and resurrection wasn't enough to cover our sins. Cast out that idea that you are saved by any human efforts or works. And why? Because we, as believers, are not slaves to the law. We are free. We are free from the need to perform, free from sin, free from fear, as we sang about today, free to be sons and daughters of God. It's not to say that we can live however we want and continue sinning, but we'll cover more of that in Galatians 5 in the coming weeks. Anyway, to bring this sermon to a close and to bring my story from earlier to a conclusion. So as I was standing at that bus stop, I had an internal struggle, just like the Galatians, right? Google Maps had promised me that not only could I get to work on time, but I could also save $15 by following the route it created for me. But looking at my circumstances, I had two choices. I could continue trusting Google Maps and wait for the bus that was nowhere to be seen, 
or I could trust my own human efforts by jumping in my car and driving down to the office myself. In the same way, we within the church have a choice. We can choose to trust in our own human efforts to try and earn salvation, or we can trust God's promises that say we are set free by faith in his sacrifice alone. But the key difference between my story and that of our salvation is that both driving and taking the CTA would have gotten me downtown, right? But when it comes to our salvation, there's one, only one option that will make us sons and daughters of God. There's only one covenant that will set us free. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for this morning, for this time. Thank you that as followers of you, we are set free and no longer need to live under the pressure of our own performance or a set of rules. I pray that if there's anyone here today that has not accepted this free gift of salvation, that you would begin to reveal yourself even now as I'm praying to them. Show them the reality of how they, just like the Galatians, need to be set free. And that becoming a child, becoming your child, is worth more than anything we could do or create in our own human efforts. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.